this past week, I had the opportunity to spend some time in an AutoZone store. And uh, autos, I was really impressed uh, just kind of walking around the, the store and looking at stuff. They have so much stuff in there. I mean, stuff I didn't even know my car like needed. I mean, all kinds of air fresheners and fog lamps and interesting uh, license plate, uh, what do you call it, license plate holders, um, all sorts of kinds of remote starters and like a multiple USB port thing that I'm thinking I might need one of those for a trip coming up that our family's going to take. All kind, they have NFL floor mats. I mean, Dallas Cowboy fans, you could get yourself in your big pickup truck some nice Dallas Cowboy floor mats, or better yet, wipe your feet on some New York Giants floor mats. You know, I was thinking, if you're, if you're a Cowboys fan, maybe you want to put your feet on, on the logo of the Giants, right? And just rub that filth in there. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. We actually have some Giants fans at this church, so. <laughs> by the way, sermon this morning is brought to you by the people at AutoZone. Stay in the zone. <laughs> AutoZone. Not really, okay? But they do have a lot of stuff there. I was impressed. Now, why was I there? Do I just have lots of extra time to be perusing all the gadgetry and accessories at AutoZone? No, I don't. But my car was having problems and I was in the store, and I had, ended up having an hour to kill there in the store. So I learned about pretty much all of their merchandise there. I had, on Monday, I had jumped my car twice uh, and gotten it to start both times. And then on the way to AutoZone to get the battery checked out, it had tried to die on Preston Road two or three times. Thank you, Barbara Cooper, for following close behind. Uh, it was good knowing she was back there if that car, maybe she could just kind of push me out of the way, you know, with that beautiful red car that she has but we made it there to the store popped the hood got that battery out and Bruce there at AutoZone uh, put, took that battery out took it in the back somewhere hooked it up to something and he was going to test it out but he said you've got an hour uh, to kill while this thing is testing so there I was uh, I was also uh, not only looking at all the stuff they have at AutoZone but I was watching a YouTube uh, about changing a 2009 Camry alternator because I thought I might need a new alternator uh, but in the end, good news, it was the battery, and uh, good news because it was under warranty, all right? And good news because I didn't end up having to learn how to change uh, a 2009 Camry alternator. So that's all good news. But here's the thing. There is actually a point to this. <laughs> there is. Took me a while to get there, but... While there are a lot of cool gadgets and accessories at AutoZone, and there's nothing wrong with floor mats and decals and fog lamps and the like, uh, I would say those are all good things, but no amount of money spent on that stuff would address what my fundamental problem was. I needed, I needed to change that battery out, right? I mean, my car was not going to start... Uh, was not going to run, was not going to go anywhere until I got to the heart of the issue, until I popped that hood and got that battery issue fixed. Spending a couple of hundred dollars there in the store on their accessories, spending a couple of thousand dollars there in the store on their accessories was not going to make any difference at all, right? I mean, I had to address the problem under the hood or I wasn't going anywhere. And our text today in Mark chapter 7 is about just that. Not about cars, not about accessories, but it is about getting under the hood. It is about getting past the accessories and the superficial and getting down to 
the core issue in my life, in our lives, and it has to do with our hearts. If we are going to, to start the thing up, this life of faith, and if we're going to go anywhere with Jesus, we got to go there. We've got to talk about what's really going on. And in Mark 7, the problem that Jesus runs into is this group of people, sincere people, good people, who cared deeply about the things of God, but it turns out they didn't care near as deeply about God. Okay? They cared a lot about the Bible, they cared a lot about traditions around the Bible, but they didn't really care all that much about God. They thought that, that being devoted to religious stuff was the th same thing as loving God, and it really isn't, as we're going to find out. And in their case, the accessories that they were perusing, that they were interested in, that they were devoted to, were religious traditions. Now, the Pharisees... And the teachers of the law spent a good deal of time browsing the tradition aisle at Faith Zone, all right? They were very interested in everything that was offered there, but not as interested in talking about what was really going on. So, the text today is incredibly important. Specifically, um, it is uh, about our spirits, about our hearts, and really, it is a matter of life and death when it comes to our walk with the Lord. You see, it is an easy thing, it really is, in religion and Christianity to hang out on the accessory aisle, but for us to really spend time diagnostically looking at what's going on in our hearts, um, that is a tougher thing to do, but it's the only thing that is going to allow the Holy Spirit to be unleashed in our lives and for us to walk with the Lord as we were designed to. So Jesus this morning wants to pop the hood, get down to uh, get our hands dirty, get into what's really going on, and that has to do with our hearts. So in Mark chapter 7, just remember where we were last week, he is multiplying these two fishes, these five little loaves of bread. He's feeding thousands and thousands of people. In other words, he is at the heart of his popularity. The crowds are growing, growing, growing. I mean, he's feeding people. He's healing people. Uh, the crowds are just loving Jesus. And with this popularity comes, let's say, increased scrutiny. All right? The religious teachers... The Pharisees are taking a good deal of interest in this very popular young rabbi. In fact, they are sending people from Jerusalem, all right, to investigate him and what's going on up there in Galilee. So the first thing they notice, really, the first thing is something any mom would notice of her three-year-old. It is that the, the group around Jesus, the disciples... They don't wash their hands before they eat, okay? They are not, they're not ritually washing their hands, which was something that the Pharisees and the religious leaders knew you were supposed to do. Uh, by the way, not only did the legal scholars there, uh, Jewish legal scholars, believe that hand washing was important, ritual hand washing, but also ritual washing of pots and cups and kettles. Now, uh, don't think this is all about hygiene. Wow, they were way ahead of the curve on this. Sanitation in the first century, I'm amazed by that. It, sure, it had that element to it, but it was really about spiritual purity. 
right? That's what it was. The washing of the hands and, and the, the cups and everything was symbolic of spiritual purity. So they had this tradition, centuries-old tradition, about ritual washing, and there were these disciples of Jesus, his inner circle, and they're diving right into lunch without doing that. Um, so chapter 7, verse 5, the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? That is their question. And I would say that is a pretty innocuous question, pretty innocent question. I mean, there is a tradition. It is a religious tradition. Uh, it is ancient. And let's be honest, it's a pretty good tradition. Washing the hands before the meal, pretty good tradition, I would say. Um, so why, Jesus, doesn't your group follow this tradition? Now, this is the thing. All right? Jesus' response to this, I would say, tame, innocuous question was anything but tame. I mean, he is going to unleash on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law principally because they have become consumed with a spirituality that was about these add-ons, that was about these accessories to the faith and really wasn't as interested in the heart of God. So traditions can be good, can be bad, can be neutral. Uh, mostly they are good. That's why they became traditions in the first place. It seemed like a good idea sometime there in the past. But any tradition, even a good tradition, can become a problem. It can become dangerous when we fail to see it for what it is. It's a tradition. Um, and when a good thing, we talk about this a lot here, when a good thing becomes a God thing, that slides us away from God and it slides us into idolatry. So let's talk briefly about tradition and we'll get to actually talking about the danger of tradition. But first, what is a tradition? Now we're talking about religious tradition here. What is a tradition? This is on your outline, all right? Traditions, a position uh, or practice believed to have divine authority though not specifically laid out in the scriptures. All right? It has weight. It has divine authority or is believed to, but it's not specifically laid out in the scriptures. By the way, it is much easier and much safer to talk about someone else's traditions, right? I mean, much safer to do that because when you start talking about your own traditions, especially in a critical way, you will find out that not everyone believes those are traditions. There are people that believe, no, that's from God. That has divine authority behind it. And so it gets a little bit scary when you start talking about your own traditions. Uh, I think these are safe enough to mention, though. Sunday evening services, that's a tradition. Wednesday night church, uh, that's a tradition in a lot of places. Those are good things, I think. They're certainly not mandated in Scripture, but those are good things. Um, here's one. Uh, when we started working in Brazil... Uh, early on, the church started meeting. We had, you know, a lot of young people and some families started coming to the church. We thought, hey, let's have a night, uh, like a game night at the church, like board games and charades and stuff like that. 
just to get our, our group uh, laughing together, playing together, uh, talking, getting to know each other better. And so one of the things we did as good Americans is we brought decks of cards, right? And they have a Brazilian game. It's pretty fun uh, that we all learned to play. Uh, the mission team there, we learned to play called Buraco, called Hole. And so we get that out. We're like, we'll get a couple Buraco games going and everything. And we had, by the way, uh, this became a problem. Uh, we had a lot of people that had no religious background. They're like, yeah, let's play Buraco. And we had, a lot, we had other people that came from different evangelical churches. Um, and it was a problem because for decades in Brazil, American missionaries, not just Church of Christ, but pretty much all evangelical groups, American missionaries had gone down there and for decades taught them that cards were of the devil. Card playing is satanic. I think it's kind of funny because it's not my tradition. It wasn't funny to them, all right? It was very, very serious, so we put the cards up, all right? Um, we had no idea that that was... A tradition. It was like a little mine underneath the ground that we kind of stepped on there. Now, there is nothing unbiblical about playing bridge, about playing spades, but over time in that place, this tradition had developed and it was serious, serious stuff. So here's the thing while someone else's traditions may seem silly to us, laughable to us, uh, they aren't to them. And while some of our traditions may seem silly and laughable to someone outside of our group, they are not silly to us. So the trick is to be aware of what is and what is not a human tradition and distinguish between the bigger, weightier things from the Word of God and those things that, that really have kind of been developed by, by people, by human beings over time. So over the century... Loads, back to Mark 7, over the century, loads of traditions had been passed down orally from one generation to the next, and the list of traditions, it grew. It, it never shrunk, okay? So actually, in the century after Jesus lived, so 2nd century A.D., those oral traditions began to be written down, and they were accumulated in a work known as the Mishnah. You can buy it for 50 bucks on Amazon, seriously. You can buy 844 pages of these oral traditions that had been written down, and it is literally a collection of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules. So it is not exactly a page turner, all right? You're not going to just, wow, this is exciting. If you do, there's probably something, or you're either a lawyer or there's something kind of wrong with you. Um, but the idea, if you love rules, I would say there's something maybe a little bit off there. But the idea was to help people be pure, okay? That was the idea, to help people be holy, to be separate, um, to help Jewish people make sure that they were uh, not violating any of, the, any of the words written in the scriptures. So there would be other rules to keep you from even getting close to like breaking the words of the scriptures in the Old Testament. So all of these traditions were over time consecrated and they were, uh, they were designed to keep someone from accidentally breaking God's law. A lot of them, by the way, had to do with the Sabbath. You know, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So you have dozens and do hundreds, really, of rules about what is work and what is not work, okay? Um, for example, there were, I think there are 11 different sections of rules in the Mishnah about 
baking bread on the Sabbath, okay? Um, so to make sure that you're not violating that on the Sabbath. Um, so 11 sections with respect to breaking, baking bread on the Sabbath, just to give you an idea. So Jewish legal traditions, let's talk about that next on your, on your outline. Jewish legal traditions, hundreds of oral Jewish traditions had been passed down over the centuries, and they were regarded as sacred. I mean, part of the faith. Um, we all, by the way, everybody has traditions, okay? All of us have traditions, whether, I mean, they may be religious traditions, they may be family traditions. I mean, does your family, do you guys open presents on Christmas Eve, or do you open presents, presents on Christmas Day? Christmas Day is the correct answer, right? That's <laughs> what my family does. That's the right way to open presents. Um, but we all have <laughs> traditions. Um, now, the legal community in Israel was composed mostly of, here's an important word, traditionalists. Traditionalists, okay? We all have traditions, but we are not all traditionalists, thankfully. So a traditionalist, this is on your outline as well, it is an advocate of maintaining tradition, and the traditionalist is closed to considering or even conversing about change. Don't even want to have the discussion, right? So they, we all have traditions. They love their traditions. And they are devoted to making sure those traditions are upheld and are left unchallenged. That's almost what they see their life mission as being about. Now, obviously, that is a dangerous place to be, spiritually speaking, for the traditionalist. What happens is the lines become blurred, right, between um, what is a human tradition and what really is from God, what really matters to God. So traditionalism is, I would say, is a move from the faith zone to the danger zone. And I think Jesus backs that up here in Mark chapter 7. The next thing, write this one down. Traditions can be good, they can be bad, uh, mostly they're kind of just neutral. The important thing is that I recognize the difference. I recognize the difference between tradition, opinion, and the revealed word of God. All right. So, this is the kind of stuff Mark is talking about, or, or Jesus, rather, is talking about in Mark chapter 7, and he has some really strong things to say about it. Um, all of these accessories, these religious traditions like hand-washing or washing cups and pots and doing it the right way at the right time, Jesus is going to unleash on them. And here are some excerpts here from Mark chapter 7. Jesus replied to them. So they asked about, why don't your disciples do this? Jesus said, you hypocrites. That means you fakers, you actors, you frauds. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. You ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. All right? Ouch! 
God in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus, saying, you're hypocrites, your religion is fake, man-made, farcical stuff, your heart's not close to God, you just give lip service to God, ouch, yeah. And then he gets really specific. Let me give you an example here. And he uses one of their traditions called korban. You may not have heard of this before. It was one of their traditions. Korban. Um, it allowed you, korban allowed you to dedicate some of your stuff, your property or your money, uh, something tangible that you owned, to dedicate it to the Lord. For instance, I mean like, Someday when I die, all of this is going to go to the Lord. I can use it right now, but I can't give it to any person because I've already in my heart given it to God. Now, I would say that sounds kind of good. I mean, it sounds like kind of making a will, and I'm going to dedicate this to the church. I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord somehow. It sounds kind of good. But what they were doing was they were cleverly using that tradition, the korban, to sidestep a clear, I was going to say instruction, but it's a commandment from God's word to honor your father and mother. Have you ever heard that before? Honor your father and your mother. Um, that's a big one, right? Um, and they were sidestepping that with this tradition that allowed them to declare something that they might otherwise use to help their aging parents who had a lot of needs Sorry, can't help you. All of that's korban. And Jesus calls them out on that. And he calls us back to what it's really all about. How were we made to flourish since the beginning? And this involves getting out of the accessory aisle, popping the hood, and dealing with the big thing. Dealing with the heart. So let's get into that, or rather let Jesus get us into that. We'll finish out with three ways that we can cultivate our hearts for God this morning. The first way is this. I will be less concerned with my image, with the externals, with the appearances. I will be less, less concerned with image and more concerned with what's happening on the inside. The heart of the matter is the matter of my heart. And I can talk about a lot of religious stuff, and it may be perfectly good stuff, but if I'm not willing to pop the hood and deal with this, nothing's really happening. Nothing's really happening. He says in verse 6, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. So the Pharisees, the legal scholars, were very, I think you can see this already, very interested in how they appeared and their reputations and how they were seen by others. They needed for people to admire them as the good guys, as the spiritual guys. They needed to be seen doing the right things. It wasn't enough to do the right. You needed to be seen doing the right thing. You needed to be seen following all the traditions. You needed to be heard saying all of the right things. You know, um, you needed to sound and you needed to look like a holy person. That mattered a lot to them. Um, kind of like spending thousands... Uh, on getting a sweet paint job for your car or some cool chrome wheels uh, for your car. Uh, but making it look perfect. All the while, though, if you were to pop the hood, you'd find out the car won't even run because there's a bad battery in there. It's kind of missing the whole point of the car in the first place. Looking, looking spiritual isn't what God intends for you. He wants for you to become like Jesus from the inside 
out, uh, for you to grow into his divine nature from the inside out. And so in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the first gospel there, Jesus is, it, it gets even more direct with these guys. I mean, if that wasn't bold enough in Mark 7, uh, listen to what he says in Matthew about their emphasis on appearances, on the externals, on the outside of the cup being shiny when the outside of the cup is, the inside of the cup is full of just rotten stuff. So he says in Matthew 23, 25, how terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You wash the outside of your cups and dishes, but inside they're full of things you got by cheating others and pleasing only yourselves. And he's not talking about kitchen utensils, right? I mean, he's talking about <laughs> their insides. Um, so if I'm going to cultivate a heart for God, this is number two, I will be sober and I will be serious about the sin within. Amen? I'm not talking about, I'm going to be serious and sober about the sin within you. No, <laughs> I'm going to be serious and sober about the sin within me. That's what I need to do to grow closer to the Lord, verses 15 and then 20. You are defiled, he says, by what comes from your heart. It is what comes from inside that defiles you. These vile things come from within you. They are what defile you. And Jesus lists a bunch of that stuff. Now, the Pharisees, of course, supremely concerned with how they are seen not so concerned with how they are doing in terms of their thoughts, of their attitudes, of their feelings toward other people. So any fly in the ointment, anything visibly wrong, they are very concerned with changing that, with getting that covered up. Um, they need for others, like we said, they need for others to see them as being good people. I've got a good marriage. I'm a good parent. Uh, I'm a good business person, honest. Everybody respects me there. I am good about doing the things that church people do. They were very into that. But Jesus says, um, look, my heart for God grows when I am willing to pop the hood and get serious about what's really going on here. What are my hang-ups? What are my sins? What are the hurts that I need to deal with? What is the sin and the darkness on the inside? I need to deal with that. And number three... Uh, about cultivating my heart for God, I will constantly turn my heart um, toward what matters most to God, okay? And that is not, folks, a mystery. What is it that God cares most about? I have no... It is not a mystery. It is very, very clear. Jesus, remember, God asked, hey, Jesus, what matters most to God? Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hinges on that. So what I've got on the outline is passion for God. This is in the Gospel of Mark as well, chapter 12. Passion for God and compassion for people. That's what matters most to God. And Jesus says literally everything else in the Bible hangs on those two commands. So if you think, hey, Gordon, sometimes, it seems like you get kind of repetitive. Like, I hear you saying a lot of the same things over and over again each week. By the way, I added it up this week. I've preached 435 different sermons on Sunday mornings here at Preston Crest since I got here. Whew. But I'll give you a little preacher secret. They are all about the same thing. Every sermon I preach is about loving God, loving your neighbor. It's always about those two things because Jesus says it's all about those two things. Right? So a teacher of the law in Mark 12 
Uh, here's Jesus give this answer. Love God, love your neighbor. And the teacher of the law says, uh, verse 32, he says, Jesus, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. So one of these guys, one of these legal experts, actually applauds Jesus for this answer. These are the two things that matter most. This teacher of the law says, you are absolutely right, Jesus. He said, Jesus, it really is about loving God and loving your neighbor. Um, and you want to know how Jesus replied to that? Jesus said in Mark 12, 34, real, or it says, realizing how much the man understood. This guy gets it. Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting it. You're getting it. Now, how about us? We are all broken. We are all sinners. Uh, we all have issues. If you pop the hood, we got stuff going on under the hood, all of us. Uh, no matter how good we look, no matter how nice we talk, I mean, we don't cuss and we say nice things and God bless you and we use the word Christmas in December and not just happy holidays. We got all that stuff down. <laughs> But what's going on on the inside? What's happening in there? Because only Jesus can really deal with that. That's why he gave his life on the cross for us. That's why he died in your place. Because you couldn't be good enough. Because you had an issue that you could not resolve in your heart. Jesus died for you. His righteousness is credited to you by the faith you place in the gospel. In the death, burial, and resurrection. And what he won for you. And there is help for us who have received Jesus as Lord. Who have recognized our brokenness and cried out to God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible says. And for those of us who called out to God, and we've been baptized into Christ, He has given us a most precious companion who is with us every hour of every week, His Spirit. And His Spirit at work in our lives, if, if we're serious about dealing with what's really happening not just on the outside, but on the inside. His Spirit will grow us and will transform us so that each day we become a little bit more like Jesus. So what do you need to be praying about? What do you need to, to come before the throne of God and, and cry out to God for? You can get with somebody and pray with them as we respond here this morning. Uh, you can come down and pray with me or one of our shepherds. Maybe it's time for you to give your life to Christ to cross that line of faith, to step into the faith zone, knowing that you aren't good enough, you can't make yourself good enough, only Jesus can deal with the greatest problem you have, the problem of sin. And we would invite you to cross that line of faith to be baptized in the name of Jesus this morning. Uh, but however you, however you need to respond, do that as together we stand and worship.